Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. This week, we're going to be looking at Ma Rainey's Black Bottom by August Wilson, um, the adaptation by uh, Ruben Santiago Hudson. And I'm so excited to talk about this script, not just because it's a great movie, but because it's one of the great plays of all time. So that means this week we get to talk about the link between playwriting and screenwriting, the similarities and the differences. But more importantly, we can talk about adaptation, the art of adaptation, which pretty much all of you, if you're a screenwriter or TV writer, at some point in your career, you're going to do one. Um, If you look at what's happening in the industry right now, most of the work for hire projects are based on something called IP, intellectual property, right? We're taking this thing that is not yet a movie, that wants to be, but it's not yet a movie. And we're translating it. We're translating it into something that is a movie. And I want you to focus on that word translation. Um, It's not an, an adaptation is not a copying of the plot. An adaptation is is a translation of something that was written in one language into a different language. Um, And the art of adaptation is is such a challenging art um, because as screenwriters, as writers, we want to honor the people who we respect. We wanna honor the work of the artists that we are adapting. Even if you're doing something crazy like an amusement park ride, you're adapting Pirates of the Caribbean, you want to honor what's great about that ride. If you're adapting the Lego movie, you want to honor what's great about Legos. Um, And if you're adapting a play, you want to honor what's great about the play. Um, And honoring what's great about the play or the movie or the video game or the book or the memoir or the torn from the headline story or your personal life story or the dream you had last night or even adapting the rough draft of your script. When you're doing this act of adaptation, you're translating something from one form to another. And that means that you may not get all the literal details because the literal details were created for a different form. But what you're trying to capture, you're trying to capture the intent. So the first question that you want to ask yourself whenever you're working on an adaptation is, do I trust this artist? Do I trust this artist? Do I believe in this material? Do I generally like the project? And that doesn't mean is the project good or not. It means, does it resonate for you? Does it matter to you? And if it doesn't all resonate for you, you wanna ask yourself, well, what part of it does? What part of it do I really, really, really connect to? Um, So if you think about the Lego movie, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, my friends who who adapted it, um, uh, they connected to this idea of playing by the rules and also playing in your own way, right? That was the piece of Lego that they took that connected to them in a personal way, right? 
is how do you play within the rules when everything is awesome, right? And playing in the rules makes everything awesome, but you also want to be a wild artist and do your own thing. And they took that one idea about Lego and they built around it. Um, if you look at The Reader by David Hare, um, that's an adaptation of a book that is not very successful. Um, there, the book is written by a lawyer and it's focused on the ins and outs of Nuremberg law. And underneath all the not so exciting details about Nuremberg law is this really complicated story about a little boy who's in love with a woman and he doesn't know that she's a Nazi. And she comes back into his life later in life and he has to deal with the fact that he loves her and she was a Nazi. And it's very interesting because when you look at David Hare's adaptation of the, of the reader, he basically threw out almost everything about the book. And he just kept this one idea, right? This one little piece, this story that the writer almost overlooked. So you want to ask yourself, does the whole piece work for me? Is there just a part of it that works for me? What resonates, what matters to me in this story, in this true life story, in this adaptation, in this piece? What matters to me? And what matters to you might be different than what matters to somebody else. And in fact, this is actually your take, right? We talk about this idea of your take on the material, which is usually what you come into pitch, right? Your take. And your take is really just a a pitching way of saying, this is what matters to me. Um, and then every choice that you make as you adapt happens in service of that thing. So if you're working on one of the greatest novels of all time, one of the greatest plays of all time, and you're adapting it into a screenplay or into a TV show, you wanna honor to the greatest degree that you can you want to honor the choices that the writer made because they were probably smart choices because you connected to and resonated with them. And so you want to take those choices and you want to translate them as best you can into this new form. And you don't want to get hung up on the things that you didn't resonate with that didn't matter so much. You don't have to worry about translating every plot point. You have to worry about translating the essence uh, for another example of this, you could look at a movie like Let the Right One In, which is a fabulous little vampire movie, if you haven't seen it. Um, Let the Right One In is a giant novel telling the story uh, of a 13-year-old vampire. Um, and it's super complicated and super long. And the writer quite liked the novel and resonated with the novel. But the novel was too darn big to be a movie. So what the writer did was take the piece of that story that represented the whole, the piece where she is looking for a new little boy to take care of her. And that writer allowed that part to represent the whole, right? Just focus on telling that part of the novel really well. So. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this all in preparation for 
really dissecting Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and talking about what worked in that adaptation, what made the movie better, and also what didn't work, what got in the way of that adaptation. Um, so there's an idea, an idea that I don't totally agree with, like most of the common wisdom, but there's this idea that when you translate a play into a feature film, there's this idea that you need to open it up. Uh, what open it up means, you know, plays have this thing called unity of place. A play takes place on a single stage and the scenes tend to be long. They tend to be located in a specific world and the sets don't change a lot, right? Because changing the set on stage is very complicated. Um, whereas when you are writing a movie, you have hundreds sometimes of different scenes, different locations that you're shooting, right? So in, in plays, we usually have this one world that we're building. In fact, if you have studied with Lisa Darmore, our wonderful uh, playwriting mentor, uh, Lisa's a uh, Pulitzer Prize finalist. She used to run the theater program at Brown and uh, Lisa talks all the time about world building, right? Because so much of, of theater is about building that world. You have this one place where the story takes place. In a way, theater is similar to television in this way, which might be one of the reasons why so many playwrights make that transition into television writing and why agents and managers look to the playwriting world to find new TV writers, right? Because they're world builders. And in a sa the same way, TV works in world, right? TV works in the same locations again and again and again, the same sets that you come back to again and again and again and building that world. But TV is more complicated in the way it builds world than play because you don't have this one place, this unity of place, you have all these places. You have lots and lots and lots of places. And when you get to feature films, it gets even bigger, right? You have so many different places. And the power that we have in, in feature films is the power of the cut, cutting from one image to another in order to tell the story. And the most powerful thing that we have in theater is entrances and exits, coming in and out of a scene of that unified place, because that's how you shift the power dynamic in a theatrical production. And so here's what's so interesting, right? So there's this idea, a play is built to happen in one space with characters talking to each other over long periods of time and the power dynamic shifting as characters enter and exit. That's how they're built. And movies in general are built around the power of the cut. And so the common wisdom, which again, I disagree with, is that if you're gonna adapt a a play into a film, you got to open it up, right? Let's try to create as many different locations so we don't feel claustrophobic in this one little world, um, which of course is not true. Look at a successful horror movie like Saw that literally takes place in one room. Um, look at uh, the parts of doubt that worked best, which are not the parts that they opened up, it's the parts where they allowed the characters to talk to each other. And look at the parts of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom that worked.
best. It's not the parts that opened it up. It's the parts where they allowed the characters to talk to each other. So why? Because in general, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom works because it's a well-constructed play. And that's not me saying that, this is a Tony award-winning play. To the degree you can, you wanna honor the intentions of that writer. It is built around those locations. So in fact, if you read the play, what you will see is that the play is set in two locations. It is set in a, an upper location, which is the recording studio. And it is set in a lower location, which is the band room. And that didn't happen by accident. August Wilson is building a world. And what he's building is a world that is built around the socioeconomic and racial disparities in our society. So you have the rehearsal room where you have the white men on top in the booth and they're the ones with the real power. But then you have Ma Rainey, the star. And what's interesting, it's built on a real character. There really was a Ma Rainey, although these events are fictional. So it's built around Ma Rainey, the star, right? The, the black woman who has transcended the racial inequalities and she has risen to the top. And then down below her, you have the band. So there's a song called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But the band is also Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, right? They are, the, they are an echelon below Ma Rainey and they do not have the power. From the young girl, Ducey May, who Ma Rainey's got her eye on, who doesn't even have the power to determine who she's interested in or where she wants to go who Ma Rainey totally controls, to the incredibly talented Levy, who's really the future of music, but who is held down by Ma Rainey's rules and by all the other guys in the band who don't believe in him. That's the Chadwick Boseman character that he plays so brilliantly. To all the other members of the band who are the servant class, right? The servant class to the wealthy, powerful black woman who is fighting not to be the servant class to the white men who are really in control, right? And this is the world that August Wilson has built. And it's built around these two playing spaces, right? And it's built around that world. That's the architecture of the play. So the degree to which you honor that architecture, uh, the the adaptation is going to be successful. And in the best adaptation, what you're actually gonna do is you're gonna take the elements that, that could not be done in a play, that could only be done in a film, that amplify that world and that statement that August Wilson is trying to make about power and race, these same conflicts that he's capturing back then that we're still wrestling with now, right? If, if you really want to do a great adaptation, 
what you want to do is you want to take those concepts and you want to push them even further by using the power of film to do the things that it can do that playwriting can't do. Similarly, if you were writing a play, you want to take the things, the theatricality that film writing can't do, and you want to do it in the play. So, um, and there are moments in this adaptation where Ma Rainey's Black Bottom succeeds in doing that, succeeds in actually making the, the film do things that the play cannot do. But there are other moments, and I'm sure you felt them, where you can feel the play being opened up right? Not being opened up because it serves the theme of what they're building, but opened up because it serves the rules of what they think they have to build. Um, and the first time you see this is actually the opening. And it's a beautiful shot, right? You're watching these young Black girls running through the forest, and it feels a little bit dangerous. And then you see fire, and then you see them come up to a tent where Ma Rainey is performing. And then we cut and we see Ma Rainey performing in the city and we realize, wow, she's really made it. She's transcended those roots. And we get the story of the birth of the blues and she's the mother of the blues, right? So we see all that and it's fabulous filmmaking, um, but it doesn't actually serve the story, at least not the way I see it. And the reason it doesn't fully serve the story is that this story is actually not Ma Rainey's story. This is actually the story of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, right? This is actually the story about how shit flows downhill, right? How under the, the oppression of, of an unfair society where wealth and power are are unevenly distributed, how shit flows downhill, down to that servant class, the band, right, in the underground, right, and how instead of rising up to grow out of that, uh, instead of, in the words of the play, striving to make the world a better place for other Black men, how the characters in the play end up turning against each other, fighting each other, rather than fighting the real cause of their suffering. And of course, because it's a great play, it does it in a complicated way, right? It's not pointing fingers and saying, you're bad and you're good. It's a complicated portrait. Ma Rainey, we understand why she's acting the way she does, even though she's acting like a prima donna. We understand that there's a part of Sturt event that really, really likes Levy's music and really wants to do something with it. And we also understand that there's a part of him that knows that if he's got to choose between the new young talent and Ma Rainey, his big expensive act, he's going to choose Ma. We understand how each of these characters are human inside this human dilemma. And we even understand, without ruining it for any of you who haven't seen it, we even understand why Levy makes the final choice that he makes, right? We understand how the unfairness, the pressure, the exploitation, the, the divisions between wealth and class, not only among white and black, but even inside the black community, create this powder keg of violence where the, 
the people who are suffering most end up turning against each other. This is a story that August Wilson is, is telling. And so you can see, even though the filmmaking is beautiful, and even though, yes, it succeeds in opening it up, those scenes don't power the story because they put our focus on Ma Rainey, and then we're going to lose the, uh, then we're going to lose that focus. Whereas if you look at the way the play is built, if you honor the the choices of the writer, you will see that Ma Rainey doesn't enter until Ma Rainey enters. Because it's about Levy. Because it's about the boys in the band. Because it's about those guys underground in that band room, not the guys at the top. So I'm going to read you a section from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And I think you're really going to enjoy this because this is a piece that August Wilson wants you to feel that he actually can't make you feel in a play. Here's the piece. It's early March in Chicago, 1927. There's a bit of a chill in the air. Winter has broken out, but the wind coming off the lake does not carry the promise of spring. The people of the city are bundled and brisk in their defense against such misfortunes as the weather, and the business of the city proceeds largely undisturbed. Chicago in 1927 is a rough city, a bruising city, a city of millionaires and derelicts, gangsters and rough house dandies, whores and Irish grandmothers who move through its streets, fingering long black rosaries. Somewhere a man is wrestling with the taste of a woman in his cheek. Somewhere a dog is barking. Somewhere the moon has fallen through a window and broken into 30 pieces of silver. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. Secretaries are returning from their lunch. The noon mass at St. Anthony's is over and the priest is mumbling over his vestments while the altar boys practice their Latin. The procession of cattle cars through the stockyards continues unabated. The busboys in Max Place are cleaning away the last of the corned beef and cabbage. And on the city's south side, Sleepy-eyed Negroes move lazily towards their small cold water flats and rented rooms to await the onslaught of night, which will find them crowded in the bars and juke joints, both dazed and dazzling in their rapport with life. It is with these Negroes that our concern lies most heavily, their values, their attitudes, and particularly their music. It's hard to define this music. Suffice it to say that it is music that breathes and touches, that connects, that is in itself a way of being separate and distinct from any other. This music is called the blues. Whether this music came from Alabama or Mississippi or other parts of the South doesn't matter anymore. The men and women who make this music have learned it from the narrow crooked streets of East St. Louis or the streets of cities of the city's south side, or the Alabama or the Mississippi roots have been strangled by the northern manners and customs of free men of definite and sincere worth. Men for whom this music often lies at the forefront of their conscience and concerns. Thus they are laid open to be consumed by it. Its warmth and redress, its braggadocio and roughly poignant comments its vision and prayer, which would instruct and allow them to reconnect, to reassemble and gird up for the next battle, which would instruct and allow them to reconnect, to reassemble and to gird up for the next battle in which they would be both victim and the 10,000 slain. So August Wilson writes that 
in a section before the play starts about the play. And of course, that's the part that you actually can't create on the stage. And so if I was going to yes and an opening that opened up the play, I would yes and that. And you can see how the focus is different, right? The focus is not on the star, Ma Rainey. The focus is on Ma Rainey's black bottom. The focus is not on the stars. It's not on the power. It's not on the rise to fame of the blues. The focus is on those men. And it is particularly on those men, right? I'm sorry, I'm going to cut that. The focus is on those lower class people slaving away, trying to survive, right? Um, so, and it's on that battle. So what's amazing is just reading that, you can already see all the shots that could have been used to open this piece up that would have put our focus on those people, the people in the basement, the servant class, rather than on the upper class. So. Whenever you've got a great playwright, you want a yes and, what's working. If you've got to open it up, open it up by yes anding what already is there. Don't take your focus and put it on something that's not the focus, just to open up your piece. To, um, to go further with this, um, you might have noticed um, a little weird thing happened. So they try to open it up by writing Ma Rainey's car crash. So at the very beginning of the piece, Ma Rainey gets in a tiny little car accident, a little fender bender, right? And she uh, has a confrontation with a policeman and it gets uh, settled up for her by uh, Irvin, her manager, and she gets hustled into the music studio. So, uh, in the play, in the play, this all happens on stage, in the music, uh, in, the, in the recording studio. Um, in the film, they try to open it up by having it take place in the street. Uh, the only problem is, on the, in the play, it totally works later when Ma's like, go fetch me my car, because you understand that the car is already in the shop and they police have taken her here and now she's at the, the and, and time has passed. Whereas when you just watch the accident happen outside, sure, it opens it up, but you go, what is she talking about? Get my car from the shop. It literally crashed like five minutes ago. And so what ends up happening again by trying to open up the piece for opening it up's sake, they end up losing some of the internal logic of the piece. And none of this really builds what the piece is really about. Okay. The next place they try to open it up is by watching Levy go buy his shoes. And this is a less offensive thing because at least we're focused on the main character. In fact, there's a way to build this piece if you really have to open it up. There's a way to open this up if you really had to open it up where you allow Levy to buy his shoes because that is ultimately the thing that's going to lead to the tragic ending and where you see mom at her hotel playing her I'm a powerful woman game with her new hot young thing on her arm. Uh, there is a way to open it up with those two scenes uh, because those two scenes do help us understand the power dynamic, the 
character striving for more power and the character who is striving to show everybody that she has arrived. That said, neither of those scenes add that much to the piece. Because when does the piece really start? The piece really starts when we get those characters in that room. And we allow them to start talking to each other. It really starts exactly where it starts in the play. When Levy shows up in his brand new shoes with his brand new shoebox. And Toledo steps on his shoe for the first time. That's where the piece really starts. And so I want you to be careful of opening things up to play by the rules. Don't open things up to play by the rules. Open things up to amplify your theme. If you end up thinking that, yes, actually seeing Ma Rainey in the hotel does amplify my theme, then great, let that be her entrance. If you end up feeling like, sure, having him buy the shoes does amplify my theme, sure, let that scene happen. But don't create random girls running through the woods, even though it's beautiful storytelling. Don't take the focus and put it on the woman in power when the focus is supposed to be in the men in the basement. Um, so those are the places where I felt like the opening up didn't work. There are other places where the opening up is truly brilliant. The first moment that I'd like to talk about. So in the play, as in the movie, there is a new door uh, that Levy doesn't remember that he keeps on pointing out. And in, in, the, in the film, he is constantly kind of pushing at the handle. And so the, the door becomes, that we're down in the band room underground, right? And the door becomes a symbol, right? Of being trapped underground and his desire to get out, his desire to ascend. And in the play, there's a limit to what you can do with that door. But in the film, the filmmakers use the image of that door to actually elevate to yes and to actually make the, the movie do something that the play can't do in relation to its theme which is there's a moment that Levy finally breaks through the door. This moment doesn't happen in the play. There's a moment when Levy finally goes through the door and the door doesn't lead anywhere. The door leads to a giant column of bricks that surrounds him on all sides and extends up into the air. Now that's how you use film. You can't get that shot in a play because you can't see it. But using the power of film, you can amplify August Wilson's image. You can yes and it, you can take it to the next level. The next place that I'd like to talk about, and there are many, I'm just hitting on a couple of places that I think are particularly good. So, and there are gonna be some spoilers at this point, so prepare yourself. Um, what's gonna happen by the end of the movie, Levy, Levy, he knows it, we know it, even the producer knows it. Levy is the future of music, and Ma is the past. And Levy's got the new thing that everybody wants. 
And the other servant class, the band who feels just lucky to have a job, are doing their best to hold Levy down, to keep him just playing the songs the way that Ma wants it. Not rocking the boat, don't get yourself fired. But Levy wants to transcend. Levy knows he's got something to share, and guess what, we know it too. And, and Sturdivant, the producer, has asked Levy to write up some of those songs for him. And he's promised Levy he's going to record it. And so Levy has gotten a taste of the future. In fact, that's why he bought those shoes. He's gotten a taste of a future where he's somebody, where he's Ma Rainey. And despite his very, very complicated relationship with the white man, given his violent past and the rape of his mother, when Sturdy Vent comes in, we watch Levy start dancing for him. We watch Levy want what, what Sturdivant has to offer so badly. And so he's being held down by his own people. He's being held down by Ma, who doesn't want to lose her place that she fought so hard for. And she knows how easily it can be taken away from her. And by the end of the piece, Levy's been fired by Ma. And Sturdivant doesn't want to let him record his songs anymore. Why? Because he doesn't want to lose Ma as a client. Ma makes him money. And it was one thing to record uh, the songs of a guy who played for Ma, but it's a whole different one to record the songs of someone Ma just fired. So instead of recording the songs, he buys them off of Levy for five bucks a song. And then what happens for the second time, Toledo steps on Levy's shoe. And this time, Levy loses it. And he stabs Toledo. He lashes out at the guy who's just one rung above him for ruining his new shoe, rather than fighting the real power that's oppressing him. Because the real power that's oppressing him is quite frankly, too complicated to even wrap his head around. And of course, we see these same problems playing out in our politics and in our society today, right? August Wilson's talking about something really, really real here. And in the play, that's really where the play ends. But in the film, in the film, the filmmakers are able to use the power of the cut to take it one level in a play you couldn't do it because doing it would require a level of casting that would be unaffordable but in the movie we cut and we see a white band and it's not ma's little band the black band that they don't even want to turn the air conditioning on for that one extra mic is too expensive for it's a big band with even with a conductor and they're all behaving exactly the way the, the manager would like them to. And there's that young, handsome, white singer who is singing Levy's song with all the production values. And so what, the, what, what these filmmakers end up doing in this adaptation 
is taking August Wilson's message and translating it and transforming it using the power of film. So we get one beat more, right? It's not just about what was taken from Levy. We actually see the music that was taken from, from black culture and appropriated by white culture. And we don't see it in a simple way. We see it in the complex, messy way that it really happens, right? But we're actually telling the story of cultural appropriation. And you can see this is actually a yes and to that last paragraph in, in August Wilson's statement about the play that he knows you're never gonna see in the theater about the way the blues got taken away. So this is, this is the power of translation. This is the power of adaptation. And so when you're adapting your own work, whether it's a novel that you're trying to adapt, whether it's a play, whether it's a, it's a short film, whether it's a memoir, an article, a board game, even if it's an adaptation of a rough draft of your own script, something that's not yet a movie, I want you to remember where to put your focus. And similarly, if you're going the other way, if you're writing a play, if you're writing a comic book, if you're writing a novel based on a film, I want you to remember where to put your focus. The first question you ask yourself is, how much do I trust this author? If I trust this author, you wanna honor their choices. You wanna to try to build it to the extent you can in the same way they built it. If you don't trust this author, you wanna ask yourself, what is the part of this that I do connect to? And even if you do trust this author, you want to say, what is the part of this that this author did? What's my take? What is the thing in this that matters most to me that I think is the central thing that they're building around that resonates with me? And you want to make that your focus. And then as you do this act of translation from one form to another, please don't follow a bunch of rules. Don't follow a formula. Don't follow what they're telling you. Instead, ask yourself, how can I use this new form to amplify that theme? How can I use the power of cinema or the power of the stage or the power of a novel, not to replicate, but rather to translate, not to open up or close down, but rather to enhance and amplify the central ideas, the central character, the central journey of the piece. For all the ways that it both succeeds and fails, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is a piece that you need to see. Uh, it's a piece that you need to see because it shows you the power of putting two people in a room and letting them talk. Um, it shows you the power of, of, the, of the written word. And it shows you that, and you'll see this as you watch it, just imagine if a whole thing just took place in those two rooms. And ask yourself, if they hadn't opened this up at all, would it have lessened your enjoyment at all? And I think you will notice when you do that, how unimportant these rules that we get fixated on actually are. Yes, a lot of movies use a lot of cuts. Yes, a lot of plays have unity of place but these are conventions. And all of these conventions are really built to serve a theme. Because in your writing, 
form is function, what you're trying to say, and the way that you want to build it actually go hand in hand. If you're enjoying this podcast and it's helping your writing, then come study with me. You can do it for free every Thursday night as part of our Quarantinis program, where a faculty member and I do a deep dive into some aspect of screenwriting, share a writing exercise with our fabulous community of screenwriters, and even give a little bit of feedback. It's a really wonderful experience. It's free or by donation, and all donations that are made are supporting our COVID scholarship fund, where we've given away over $98,000 of scholarships since March to help our students who have been affected by the crisis afford our classes and afford to be able to continue in our program. So if you'd like to be a part of that, then come join us. It's every Thursday night, writeyourscreenplay.com slash quarantinis.